Sunny Lan, Simon. Yes, just about. Um, right. Um, where did you start your photographic career? Well, I, I went to Dever College of Art. I started in 1983, a long time ago now, and um, wasn't particularly good at school. Uh, desperate to get out of school, and I had a very, very good art teacher who said, look, try and get into art college. The funny thing is, um, uh, when I got to art college with a portfolio of work, um, they gave me uh, an unconditional entry, which was fantastic. Um, but um, when I said I'd like to do photography, because all my, all my artwork is illustration, um, they couldn't understand why I wanted to be a photographer. And I thought, well, you know, it's, it's kind of cool, really, you know. Um, so, um, so I started photography in '83. I went and did two years in Endeavour College of Art. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, where did that lead you? Um, first of all, um, I I had this head on my shoulders when I was in college. I wanted to work. I wanted to get out there and take pictures. And I started contacting magazines. I worked for a Welsh magazine called Scraich for a while. Oh, yes. I was doing all the Eisteddfods just yeah, yeah. to get a press pass. Yeah. And uh, I did a lot of band photography. And um, that was in college. Then leaving college, I was unemployed for a short time and got on a sort of government course sort of thing and did that for a while. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> strangely enough, a job came up with the MOD. Uh, I thought, well, okay, well, you know, it's a photography job, but let's go for it. I didn't think I had a chance because I had virtually no qualifications, uh, but I got the job. So I ended up as a high-speed photographer for 11 years, uh, doing uh, sort of ballistics and all that kind of stuff. Good gracious which, me. Which for uh, someone who's tad dyslexic and can't work out mathematics to save his life, I can't work out a shopping bill at all. <laughs> um, and we're dealing with, you know, 400 foot of film going through a camera, so like three seconds and yeah. ridiculous framing rates up to 40,000 pictures per second, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Bonkers. Right. So, uh, but I did that for 11 years. Uh, I'm glad I did, even though I'm, I considered myself a pacifist, uh, working in an industry which uh, was sort of um, not quite what I, you know, uh, I, I, I liked. I, I, I wanted to be in television. Um, but um, the concept of being in, in an MOD situation Give, give me the discipline behind the technical side of photography. It, um, don't ask me about technical stuff, photography stuff, because I don't really know much. I don't particularly care, as long as I can understand what's going on, that yeah. does, does it for me. But the memo D time gave me an understanding of what it was to be prepared. Right. Um, what sort of stuff were you doing? Oh, I'm not aren't you allowed <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I did all the high-speed photography on Thrust, SSE. Right. Photographing shockwaves. Uh, as I said, the Thrust SSC was a supersonic car, the car that still holds the land speed record. Mm -hmm. So I did all the, the photography for that. Um, they wanted uh, to show the shockwaves of the car. Right. Um, uh, so that, that, that was quite interesting, yeah. Okay. And did you, I mean, were you doing still work then as well? Oh, it was a combination stills, video. Okay. Um, most of my work was, was high speed stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and when I say high speed, it would start running about 200, 400 pictures per second. And the most I ever shot was, I think, was for 40,000 on an incredibly narrow shutter angle, right. which I don't ask me what this, the exposure value was, but it was nuts. <laughs> I guess discipline is uh, really quite an important aspect of photography. Uh. Well, we were shooting on transparency, um, reversal film. Mm -hmm. And um, so your exposure yeah. latitude is quite fine. Yes. So, um, in later work, I found that exceptionally good experience. Right, okay. And so, you left the MOD, 
Um, well, I got made redundant, which ah, was the best right. thing ever happened to me. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Second best. <Yeah. laughs> and so where did that lead then? Uh, I was very lucky. I, um, I had a camera, cameraman's job with um, S4C. Well, a, a small little company in Aberystwyth. And um, I, uh, they were starting off and it was a staff job. And it was a chat show, a women's chat show in Welsh. And that was quite an experience because um, it, w there was no money. It was uh, S4C Digital, I think it was. And um, there was virtually no budget. So that was another learning curve, you know, working with TV cameras this time and lighting sort of anywhere from an old pub to a leisure centre. To, so that gave me then an, an interest in lighting. Um, so I ended up um, lighting for three cameras usually. And um, yeah, that lasted three years and then a contract came to an end. And then I ended up in an office job in um, National Library Wales in the film archive. And um, in, a, in a dark room behind a desk for 18 months, which did my head in. Um, and, uh, but meanwhile, I, I had this other sort of, I wouldn't say career, but I had another interest. I got involved in, with a history channel when I was working for the MOD. Occasionally, I get involved in a bit of documentary work um, from the costume point of view, because I was interested in military and history. And I had started collecting costumes and I got uh, friendly with quite a few people who worked in the sort of the film business, the high end, you know, the, um, and uh, so I was dragged into sort of these little projects. So as I was supplying costume and props to various productions, I was finding myself taking photographs as well and ending up doing a lot of stills photography for the History Channel. So that gave me sort of this side interest, really, that um, ended up with a huge portfolio of reconstruction type images. Um, we'd go to Duxford and we'd pull a B-17 out or we'd go to Bombington Tank Museum and get the Tiger Tank out and stuff like that. Really elaborate stuff. Mm -hmm. But I was there in the background, sort of just taking the stills and, and building a collection. Um, and then the photographs started getting published here and there. And whilst I was at the uh, National Library of Wales in Aberystwyth, um, I had a phone call from Texas one day from this colonel, <laughs> retired colonel. He was a great guy. And he, uh, he said, oh, I've seen your work. I'm not going to do the accent, right? <laughs> so we've seen, seen, your, seen your work. And um, we'd like you to come and work for us. I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, this is, this is the phone call that you don't expect. Yes. Um, but um, I said, well, yeah, okay. And I was desperate to get up the library. I said, well, the only way I can do the kind of work that you're asking for me to do is if I can do it full time. I said, well, draw up your contract. He said, send it over and we'll have a look at it. So I did. I wasn't greedy. I based it on really what, you know, the circumstances, financial circumstances I was uh, on in the um, uh, museum. I'm uh, sorry, in the library. And um, they said, yeah. But I didn't know who I was working for. I had no idea. And I didn't really know what, anything about the magazine at all. I just said, I, I just decided that this was an opportunity. So when I went on the old computer and found out, I was working for a chap called Eric Weeder. Eric Weeder uh, was the son and nephew of Ben and Joe Weeder, the bodybuilding fitness people of the States, right. who also were very passionate about history and decided that they were going to um, bring out a brand new magazine called Armchair General. Well, Armchair General was um, um, a history magazine with a, an, an angle on it that you, you investigated and explored history. And my um, 
section, if you like, my department was um, interactive storylines. Right. Now this this sounds completely bizarre, <laughs> but but basically what it was, I'd get scripts sent to me from California, and I'd have to interpret these scripts then into photographs. So one week I might be photographing Roman soldiers and the next week I might be doing a Vietnam reconstruction shoot. The following week, Battle of Toughton, D-Day, Battle of the Bulge. So I gather all these people, reenactors, actors, and I go back to the museums that I were, had been involved with previously through the History Channel. And they, this time, for me, they pull out the tanks and the aircraft and uh, I'd get to do all these. Amazing photo shoots. Amazing photo shoots. Well, I was very privileged because I was creating my own little films. And that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to use people because I'm really interested in photographing people. But um, I know, I, my, my angle on photographing people is, is taking them out of their own personalities and giving them a chance to be something else. So it's almost like giving somebody who hasn't even acted before or even thought about it. Uh, an opportunity to just have a bit of fun really but obviously with the kind of um, photography I do it's very important that that I get the the character right cast people as you would in a film you'd have casting director you cast somebody who looks the part so I would do that and of course I had quite decent budgets behind me to allow me to do this so I ended up doing that for four years full-time um, and um, uh, the downside was I was getting paid in dollars and uh, uh, the, the photo shoots became more and more expensive because of the um, dollar pound exchange rate at the time and I was shooting still on transparency medium format uh, you know going yes. back to the technical side of it I was um, I didn't use Photoshop at all well once only once to remove a badge from somebody's jacket but everything else printed was as is on the transparency um, everything was lit, flash, a combination of tungsten, flash, smoke machines, snow machines, did my own makeup, everything. It was, it was just uh, an opportunity and experience where I thought, I just, I've got to give it a go. Right. And um, yeah, I did it for four years. Yeah, but that uh, wanting to create those um, tableaus, if you like, those reconstructions mm. has not left you because you still would. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Um, because um, I, you know, I'm a firm believer of things are meant to happen for a reason, totally more now than ever. Mm. And um, when that job came to an end, it, it, it really messed me up. You know, I had to sell a house, I had to move from Aberystwyth. Um, it put me back in a situation where I was pretty desperate, really. And when I started knocking on doors, you know, people that I'd worked with previously, um, uh, on a, purely on a professional level, you know, the jobs weren't there anymore. And I thought, well, hold on, you know, I've, I've been lucky, you know, I've, I've, I've worked for Spielberg and people like that, okay. you know. And oh, no, 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 <laughs> let's stop there oh, for a second. <laughs> Tell me about the Spielberg. Right. Okay. Uh, this is a bit bonkers. Um, what happened was, I was um, helping out on um, Band of Brothers in the costume department, and a very good friend of mine, Joe Hobbs. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But Joe, um, Joe uh, said to me, "Well, you know, we finished dressing all these actors in parachutes and all that gear," and he said, "Why don't you go down onto the the set?" He said, "You know, just be an extra year for the rest of the day. Just enjoy it." So I thought, okay, great. So um, haircut, uniform, and um, in the back of the car, I had a 16 mil filmo, clockwork filmo. And I thought, well, I might as well take it down the set, you know, just extra prop or whatever, be a little bit different. 
So I'm standing there with this camera in my hand. This assistant director comes up to me and he said, um, oh, have you got film for that? I said, yeah. He said, oh, great. He said, can you shoot a couple of sequences for us? I said, oh, brilliant, yeah, fantastic. So for the rest of the day, I wandered around filming these actors, who I know a lot of them have become quite famous, <laughs> directing little scenes and filming them on the 16mm camera. And um, gave about an hour's worth of footage back at the end of the day to the um, production office. And I didn't hear anything more about it until I went back up then to Hatfield about oh, two, three months later, again, to help out in a situation with costume. And uh, this cameraman comes up to me and he said, oh, you're the guy who shot the 16 mil stuff. And I said, uh, oh, yeah, thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't have. He said, haven't you heard? He said, um, Tom Hanks and Spielberg had seen the footage and thought it was undiscovered colour archive. <laughs> I said, you what? <laughs> so yeah, they thought it was the real thing. There's a tape going on all the departments and they live in it. I said, you're joking. I said, uh, no. So, um, so on the back end of that, there's a scene in episode seven of Band of Brothers where there is a cameraman in the scene. So I get the job. I'm not an actor. <laughs> it's a good thing it was a speaking part, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, no, I get, get the job. And so I'm actually in Band of Brothers, dressed as a GI in the forest, filming, but actually shooting at the same time on the 16mm filmo. Right. So the, the sequences then were cut into the series. Right. So it was quite bizarre, really. But, um, but I was quite, because I, I was sat, uh, I can tell you this, I was sat around the table in the canteen um, uh, in Hatfield, and I had... Uh, Alan Tompkins, art director. He'd yeah. worked on JFK. He'd worked on the first film he ever worked on was something like um, Ice Cold in Alex. I had uh, Simon Atherton to the right of me, Aliens, James Bond, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. I had um, Anna Shepard across the table, costumes for Schindler's List. And they were all having a conversation. I just thought, please don't ask me, because I'm going to have to tell you I'm working for S4C. <laughs> so, <laughs> with no budget. <laughs> So I thought, no, no, yeah. Did you think at that time that there was an opening into what you wanted to do was be a filmmaker? No, on the answer, honest answer, this was an opportunity. This was just a, a, an opportunity for me to actually glimpse okay. through a window that I never ever thought that I'd have an opportunity right. and see something totally amazing and take something away from that that helped me in a thought process of how my work was to develop. I'd store that information in the back of my head and one day it'll, it'll come back out there now. Because yeah. we're, we're sat here in the Tin Shed Museum, which is basically a combination of, <coughs> of uh, bad luck and great luck. You know, I, this was meant to happen. Um, I didn't know it was going to happen. But uh, the whole thing came together. I bumped into an old friend of mine, who Andrew, who I knew for 25 years ago when we worked with MOD. And um, I had a crazy idea because I'd uh, had all these items. Um, uh, we thought, well, you know, we'll put a little 1940s dance in the hall in Lan, mm -hmm. which was a huge success. And that made us realise, well, hold on, maybe we could open up a museum. Okay, well, we started. We had no money, still don't have any money. But the whole point really was it, it, it turned into an experience where we bit by bit developed a concept. But always in the back of my mind is that when we were building the tin shed, the cottage, the museum and all the, the place you see around us now, it's designed with photography in mind, camera angles. It's all about creating a little film set, which 
hopefully now this coming year I, I'll brush off the Bronica. It's still <laughs> working. We're going to find a battery for it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and start getting back into the kind of photography that I used to, but but minus the military, the, the stuff that I used to do for the magazine. Um, it it was quite uh, graphic at times, even though it it was a magazine that anybody could buy. Um, the content I was asked to do, I was asked to shoot pictures that represented conflict, and I didn't want to do it in such a way to sort of glamorise it. But I wanted, but I, I had a job to do, and uh, the information that I was given, I had to follow a, a script. But equally, I wanted to put the the drama and um, you know the, the the tragedy into it as well, because. Mm. Uh, you know, I would be the last person who wanted to be ph photograph war, to be honest with you. But the subject of war fascinates me, and especially from when you act asking people to um, um, uh, act the part, and you can get the the emotional envelope bounces from one corner to the other, mm. uh, and it's all pretend. Nobody gets it, yes. uh, but it it creates a message and it's very important that must be quite a difficult task when you're doing just doing stills i mean with moving images you, you know but you when you're creating tableaus like this and creating sort of uh and telling a story through one photograph mm. um uh, the, uh, the element of um of uh, preciseness and of getting things right uh, goes back to your MOD days then, is it? Oh, yeah, it? but it's a big combination because I was shooting region format transparency. I didn't use a handheld helmet meter, I used the Bronica meter. Right, okay. And I can honestly say, hand on heart, of the thousands of pictures I took on tran transparency, I think I probably had one ro roll of film that was underexposed. I, I, the, the, the transparencies were so consistent in exposure because, you know, I trusted the meter totally. Um, and and I just got to know the film stock. I got to know the lighting so well that I knew that when I wanted that shot, because the process wasn't just somebody standing there. I'd, I'd act the scene out. I'd tell people, right, this is what's happening to you. You've got to either jump out of the tank or you've got to you know do this or do that or whatever. So we were actually playing a film in their head. And I was just waiting for that moment to go click. But right, okay. You know, so yes. it was a combination, really, of of a, a film approach, but a still result. Yes. You know. uh, and um, I was talking to you yesterday, and you were saying uh, you 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 have your, you have an idea in your head. You want to use this as a kind of film set, but to create these one-off images again. Yeah. Are they going to be specific things? Do you have specific ideas in your head already? Sort of, but I, I I can't sort of commit at the moment to to one particular style because I like con continuity. I like um, uh, you know ten, twelve black and white photographs in the same frame in the same way of hanging with the same size. I like, for some reason, it was completely messed up, really, in lots of ways. No, not at all, you, you no, know, I, I You know I what I mean? I like, yeah. I like the formula of, of con uh, continuity in, in a display. Um, uh, I, I seeing, um, so I've got to decide whether I'm going to go realistic or I'm going to go, um, uh, sort of, like, I wouldn't say fantasy, but, you know, quirkiness we are in land for you know <laughs> what I mean you know so so that the sort of a whole Dylan Thomas thing will have an effect on you you can't get away from that sorry go on. no no I, I just wanted to cut across you but you've done some stuff you did uh, you've done under milk wood haven't you have you done uh, uh, yeah. creations of that on, on, well um I did one photograph as a little test bed um piece over four years ago where I photographed a chap called John Bradshaw with a fish on his head 
um, and then we made a fiberglass model of him, as you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was a case really of just sort of, yeah, this was pre Dylan Thomas anniversary. Right. And I had an idea of putting sort of 12 images together of, but I thought, well, you know, a lot of people have done that and, and jumped on the Dylan Thomas sort of bandwagon. I don't particularly, I don't like jumping on court deals. I like, right. I like doing my own thing. Yeah. And even though I admire other, you know, other people's work for doing that, I, I think what we've created in the Tin Shed is an opportunity for me to get back into my photography. I don't have to drive up and down the M4 like I used to. It's all on site. Yes. And I can light it in my own time. I can think about the concept of what I want to achieve. And very importantly for us, from a tin shed point of view, it'll be an album of images that would help promote this place and, and tell people that we could possibly be a little film set in the township of Lamb, right. which is an amazing location um, for, for film work. Yeah. You've got so many different elements of landscape in such a small space. It's a filmmaker's dream, yeah. um, and the people are fantastic. Uh, they, you know, they understand the process of filmmaking because they've had so many camera crews and TV yes. things over the years. But uh, I think it would help the local economy right. and help us. The one thing I know from your um, creating this tin shed experience, as you call it, is that you discovered a camera, and you came oh, yeah. across a camera. Tell yeah. me about the camera. Well, my partner Min discovered it, and uh, we. We went to a flea market in Kamar then about 18 months or so ago um, and it was one of those strange moments where we're firm believers here uh, we've had co coincidences and happenings and crazy things and this was one of the crazy moments where shall we shan't we yeah okay let's go right okay we've only got an hour so we bombed into Kamar then ran around this flea market because I had a list of items I wanted to get for the tin shed and Min said oh there's a camera for sale over there so we went over the, to the, the um, guy who was selling it and he had a combination of sort of, you know, Pentaxes and the Zenit and then there was this Iconta in the middle, folded up. And we've got a couple of Icontas in the shed. Um, and I thought, well, that's very nice. But it had a military lanyard as a strap. So I'm looking at the camera and I'm contemplating, right, how can I explain to Andrew about buying a camera that we've already got with money that we haven't? <laughs> and. Uh, I thought, oh heck, I'll buy it. So we got it for, I think it's about 75, 80 quid or something like that. Mm. But as I'm sort of literally sort of packing it away, he said, oh, there's paperwork with this, the guy says. So he goes underneath the table and he pulls up a plastic envelope. And I, I just accept the envelope as part of the package. I didn't really think much of it. So later that night, I sat down, oh, I better check this camera out now. So I put the camera on the table, I started going through the paperwork and there was a, a receipt dated 1965, Super Iconta, bought in uh, PhotoVision in um, Leicester uh, for £17. Pounds. And um, the serial matched, the serial number matched the, the receipt. And then I carried on going through the paperwork and there was letters and documentation. A guy called um, Atkinson had bought this camera from PhotoVision in Leicester um, and then had proceeded in researching the camera and writing letters back to the Imperial War Museum and the Leicester Mercury. Now you've got to remember this is the 60s, early 70s. Uh, asking questions about a chap called James Mappham, Sergeant James Mappham. Well the reply was, yeah this, this was one of his cameras, but Sergeant James Mappham was responsible for taking what the American press described in the Second World War as the greatest war picture ever taken and it's uh, British soldiers landing on the beaches of Normandy 
um, there's a column of soldiers coming off the beach you, you know the photograph mm. and there's two guys one guy looking straight up into the lens of the camera another guy with a head turn and you can see the column and you can see the ships in the mist and that photograph quite possibly could have been taken by the camera that we had right. bought in Carmarthen <laughs> um, so we're, we're still researching it I can't be 100% certain nobody can unless there's some kind of you know bit of uh, defect on the frame or something and you can yes. match the negative the negatives are in Imperial War Museum right. so we've yet to sort of really get our teeth into it but the, uh, the, the circumstances and the coincidences that have happened through this camera is, is just amazing and so if we could um, confirm it was definitely owned by him we know that it, so it, it was handled by James Mapper mm. um, whether he took that picture who knows but so that's nice intriguing story isn't yeah, it yeah. so um, what do you regard yourself as, Simon? Do you regard yourself as a photographer or a, a museum <laughs> curator? Drummer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's a funny one. Um, I don't know. I think uh, the thing about a lot of photography, a lot of photographers, you know, yourself, is, is you know, we hide behind cameras a lot of the time. Yes. And I've hidden behind mine many a time. Um, it's It's got me the most amazing um, experiences in life you know I've I've flown in Mustangs I've come off landing crafts with oh. a camera in my hand right. I've um, been on some of the most amazing film sets um, because of photography um, it's it, it's been my life it's changed my life um, right from the very beginning I suppose I don't really know anything else I'm quite confident by the camera but um, quite shy as well I don't like what you're doing as it not not your work <laughs> what I mean is yes. I couldn't do what you I couldn't go up and to somebody in the street and say hey can I take your picture or I couldn't sort of I know I, I just feel poof. yeah you know, I can do that yeah. you know what I mean uh, I've got to be in control because I've got to know the people who are around me because I need them to understand what I'm doing yes. and I think you know it's for them to know what i'm doing is part of the equation because i like getting people involved yes you yes. know um so so to answer your question i um yeah i suppose i am yeah. really yes. um but um but you would still go back to the old bronica and the transparency oh yeah 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 if, if i had loads of money and um <laughs> if i had a dark room and everything else that goes with it oh yeah i'd, I'd love to go through the back to the, the, the Bronica, right. you know, um, I, I, purely for financial reasons, I don't know whether the next project uh, will be done on film or digital. Um, uh, Do you think the same um, techniques and the same, um, oh, what's the word, the same um, disciplines apply to digital as they do to film? No, I, I think I had this phrase in my head uh, when auto focus cameras you know auto exposure auto expo um, uh, focus auto picture you know uh, I just felt that <clears throat> when I first owned my first kind of do everything camera but the standard of my work just went like that because it was just so convenient to shoot so many pictures and then go ah yeah that'll do that one there oh and I'll tweak it a bit right. you know I'm not into that yes. and the old sort of decisive moment Sort of approach really okay. um which to me even though it's it's funny really i suppose you could say about this museum this sums up my, uh, my approach to a lot of things is 
Um, there's a hard way and there's an easy way. And for some reason, I always go for the hard way, <laughs> you know. Uh, this museum is created because of hard work and determination and a great bunch of people um, using second-hand materials and zinc sheets that people would have been throwing away. And it's almost a, a representation of, you know, yes, you could, when I was working for the magazine, it would have been so easy for me to go on a course and learn how to do Photoshop. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I wanted to do it the old-fashioned way. And believe me, you know, I, I really, um, for my own um, good, really, I think that um, uh, that was the way to do it for me. And, and I stand by it. Right, okay. No regrets, yeah. So um, are there any other formats? Because you're working with medium format. Did, mm. did you work with any other types of cameras? Did you work with large format cameras at all? Or no, no, no I was a bit scared of large format. <laughs> I had a bad experience in college. <laughs> oh, God, tell me about the bad experience. Well, holes in the bellows. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I think the Bronica, I, I bought a Bronica. Somebody told me, oh, don't touch a Bronica because they, they're prone to electrical faults or whatever. Right. And I had this Bronica and never let me down. And, and I, it's, I've still had, no, I think it's 30 years old now. So what lenses do you work with? For years, only 75. Right, okay. Yeah, for years. And then um, when I, working for Armchair General, um, my boss was brilliant. He said, um, right, I'll give you a budget. You can buy camera equipment. You can buy um, uh, computer. You can buy smoke machines. You can, it was fantastic. So I invested in a couple of lenses and I got a wide angle and uh, I think it was a 105, I think. Right. And something big, big, I can't remember. But, um, yeah, but I, I, I don't know, the Bronica for me was such a perfect frame and because you could use it like a 35 mil, right. you know, it was so nice to hold and, and uh, my gosh, we put that, that through some hard times, you know, yeah. it's, um, but it, it never let me down. It was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it, interesting though, about your framing and putting uh, a frame together mm. and uh, seeing how it looks through that uh, ground glass and stuff. So um, uh, you were saying earlier that when you went to college, you were an, uh, kind of an, uh, you were an illustrator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so your eye, I, I guess you've never found difficulty in framing things. No, I'm quite, um, I've seen you work. And you're down on your knees and you're yeah. up high and what have you. I, I'm eye level. I, as high as I stand is where I tend to shoot most of my pictures. Right, okay. So I tend to shoot and then I tend to crop quite, um, uh, I would say tightly, but I do, I'm very conscious of things because I, I'm not Photoshop orientated. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm adjusting my lens or adjusting my composition um, on site, so to speak. So I'll move around and I'll hide something behind somebody's head or, mm. or whatever if I'm not happy with a particular yeah. um, aspect of it. I'll do something to hide it in that frame, you yes. know. But I do tend to um, fill the frame and, and the old sort of cap is saying if you're not close enough, yeah, yes, definitely, indeed. you know, get in there. Yeah, indeed. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, I, it's funny um, because I've tried to do something similar to what you do. And I find it really, really difficult. And when I go back and look at the work, there's always something not quite in the right place. So that attention to detail, you must have, a, a, because you're not always seeing everything through that. No, and I think, I think over the years, I think you've got to accept the fact it's not never going to be perfect. Right. right. Yeah. And you just go, right, okay, this is not going to be perfect, but it's honest. Even though 
it's a creation it's an honest creation mm. you know um I remember I took a photograph of uh, Napoleon's retreat from Moscow, and I, I had this sentimental, romanticised image of, of, a, of a drummer boy being carried on the back of a soldier. I was all shot in a quarry up in North Wales, using an old duvet as snow in, in the foreground. And right. Okay, <laughs> being creative. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's one single snowflake that's just come into the eye of the soldier. But... You know, I had somebody criticised my work by the photograph once. He said, oh, that's no flick. It's distracting. I think, well, yeah, it is. But, you know, have a look at the rest of the picture, see what you think. Yes. <laughs> you know, but don't worry. It's never going to be um, perfect. No. But then why should it be? You know, yeah. it's... It, you've made... Uh, there's a lovely picture that, uh, that you made of um, First World War One. Um, oh, the guardian angel the picture. Guardian angel yeah, picture. that was uh, my um, I, I, my first ever first one man exhibition in Aberystwyth, oh, about five years ago now. Mm -hmm. And um, having done all the photography for this American history magazine, I wanted to do something similar in style, but also something that came from my point of view really. And it was a, an anti-war statement. It was a picture that I decided that I wanted to take to to sum up really the horrors of of the Great War and the, the sadness of it, but also hope at the end of the tunnel. So mm. uh, it was shot on a pig farm in Norfolk. <laughs> uh, costumes and um, all uh, proper costumes, uh, reproduction stuff, but you know, authentic. And then we had a dress made then for the guardian angel. Um, her name was Holly, she was fantastic. And the rest of the family, uh, her father was one of the soldiers, her brother was the other one. Um, lighting was completely different for me because it was a very flat front lit. Um, and um, yeah, shots. Um, I think that was probably one of my first ever digital pictures. Um, even though I shot it on an old Iconta as well, um, the one that worked with combination of elements was actually on digital. Mm. Um, so there you are. I've, <laughs> I've uh, uh, contradicted really everything I've said. Uh, but um, but no, that that one um, there was uh, one of those shots that um, has had probably the most impact on on people who have seen it. Uh, we know, I've, uh, because it's hanging up in the museum, uh, I've had people literally in tears looking at it, especially when you put it in context of what the, rep the museum represents. You know, we, we're not interested in politics or tactics. We're very much about people's stories and accounts. So when you have the artifacts on display and we explain to people about these stories and then that image then is one of the last things that we refer to. Uh, it does hit people quite hard sometimes, mm -hmm. you know. Actually, you you probably f you fall into the same um, photographic area as Annie Leibovitz. Annie Leibovitz makes huge constructions and things, and organises and mm. the shoots are you know specific and and she gets her stuff on covers of Vogue. Are you not sort of? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not driven. I suppose I was at one time, you know, but. I, I think you, when I said to you earlier on about uh, being involved in Band of Brothers, it was great to be involved in Band of Brothers from a costume point of view mm. because being surrounded by all these people and mm. you know having Spielberg and Tom Hanks sort of on your shoulder there and and you think my gosh you know I'm I'm a lad from Minke with two O levels I think um, <laughs> you know what's going on here um, but when the whole camera thing happened with the 16 mil um, you know that was my experience that that for me was something that just that hundred foot of film was 
well, it, yeah, yeah, it was it was one of those moments of right, okay, this this is good. It's as good as it's going to get for me, and um, but now I can. I think it's a, it's the difference really between somebody wanting your work and somebody and and you needing needing to do work. That's the driving force for me a lot of the time because I've all been very very lucky over the years. I've always been in a position where I've worked for others. Somebody's actually asked me to do photography for them. So um, it's nice to know that your work is of a standard that somebody wants it. But when that stops happening, and then you have to start creating your own pro projects and ideas, and you have to sort of decide, well, okay, well, you know, I need to do this for my, I, that's the difficulty for me, is, is, is to, to say, right, you've got to do this for your own. Would you show again? Would you like to show again? Well, that's the plan, yeah. That, that is the plan, but I've, I've got to feel, because I've, I've had about a, a five-year gap out of serious photography. Um, you know, I've taken photographs, but um, not in the way that I used to. But I think I needed that as well, because, um, you know, going from something... Because uh, the status, uh, the magazine I was working for was, it was uh, I think, America's... I think it was number 25 best American magazine by the time, uh, you know, um, I left them. So they'd gone up the scale uh, in America hugely. So a lot of my work was seen in the, in, in the States in the, uh, admittedly not, it wasn't on Vogue, but it was, you know, we had something like, I don't know, probably 150,000 sales on the right. magazines. And, and I think it was about a million people were following it on the yes. web websites. So, you know, it was a high-end magazine in the context of the kind of work I was doing. Yeah. Um, but um, I think, you know, from my point of view now, I just have to decide that uh, I'm going to set myself a project. I've got gallery space in St. Clair's already lined up, so I've committed to that. So that should get me focused a bit. Yeah. Um, but is, uh, is recognition important to you? I think there at one time it was because, uh, you know, I think because being so bad in school, uh, and feeling that I needed to prove myself. Mm. I think um, photography was a good way of showing, look, you know, I can do this, yeah. you know, and I'm not bad at it, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it was in that way um, important, but it's nice to know, I don't like offending people, but also I also feel like um, I want to get a message out there. So I, I tend not to be controversial in, in the stuff I do. I tend to be sort of quite reserved yeah. in stuff. But also then they come, you know, there's a sneaky one that comes up uh, which kind of turns heads sometimes. Uh, yeah. It's really funny because I've been in your museum and I think there was, um, there was um, when I first met you, I think, and there was, um, you had a picture of a, a GI there and I thought it was from the... From and I think you'd taken it. It was it, it, he's leaning against. It's a wonderful picture. Oh, and it's one that you took. <laughs> um, and I thought it yeah, was, it was taken you doing the wall. Referring to the black and white yes. in the snow. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, that was quite bizarre. That was that was one of my first ever proper reconstruction shots. We'd um, it was a documentary for S4C, and it was about a chap called Danny Harris, who's a Welshman. The Welsh-speaking Welshman in the American Airborne doing the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, Danny, our lovely chap, and we 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 put this little documentary together, and it was an opportunity to actually buy some effects. We bought some snow effects, and we and I had some of the lads that I knew from um, the film makers um, side of things. They came down and they'd got dressed up in original uniforms and equipment, 
and I took this particular photograph of a guy um, sat looking at the camera. Yeah. And a couple of years later, I had a guy from the States phone me up and he said, oh, can I use some of your reconstruction stuff? And I said, yeah, fine, no problem at all. He's bringing out a book. So I sent him a book, a, a box full of photographs. And um, anyway, a couple of months later, the photographs come back, but that picture, picture's missing. But some of the photographs are in there, so it's got mixed up somewhere. So uh, about, I don't know, about a two, year or two years later, I get this phone call. Um, quick, turn the telly on. So and the, <laughs> I missed the, the particular sequence, but there was this sort of highbrow intellectual program about war photography, talking about Robert Kappa, and they showed my photograph. No! Uh, <laughs> they're talking about Robert Kappa's ability to capture the soldier's face, and there was an eight-second slow zoom into my mate John Rowe sat on a box in Aberystwyth with fake snow around him. My jaw's just dropped. <laughs> Bonkers. Well, their jaw dropped when I phoned them up. And, uh, <laughs> I bet it and I said, um, oh, I had great program. It was a company called Digital Rants in California. All right. And I said, um, I said, oh, it's great program. Oh, thank you very much. You know, uh, I have, you used one of my photographs in it. Uh, you know, you could hear the weed going across the, the desert <laughs> in the background. Um, oh, really? Yes, I said, but don't worry about it, you know, it's, it was a great honour, you know. To, uh, oh, well, you know, you're not going to cause problems. I said, no, not at all. I said, you know, just pay me what the going rate was. I think I got a, I got a Graflex flash gun out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, what, what can you say? It's a great story. It's totally true. It happened to me. Wow. You know, but it was just one of those sort of moments, you know. Yeah. That, it's, that's an astonishing story, actually. Because I yeah. was thrown by it when mm. I saw it. Yeah. Because you made a large, I think, I've, yeah, it's I a big see, print. It's a yeah. big print. And yeah. I was thrown by it. I thought it was an original. It's, it's a, a strange subject to be involved in because what I like to do is to create scenarios that, are, you know, are quite rough, really. Um, I, put, I wouldn't want to be in the situation that a lot of photographers were taking these pictures. But my editor at the time, um, a chap called Jerry Morlock, um, uh, he, he was a Vietnam uh, veteran and I sent him a photograph once of a, a combat scene that I, that I did and um, he phoned me up and he said I've just had your pictures from um, the Vietnam shoot you did he said um, they're just too real they're, they're, this is exactly how I remember it and I thought my gosh you know that's a statement and a half yeah. Um, from somebody who'd witnessed these things you so know. how much research would you do before oh, you? I'd do loads I, I, um, but I, I know a little bit about the Second World War and, you know, and uniforms and equipment at that time. So I know enough of that about that to get me by. But I'd always then call in on, on reenactors uh, and experts who could then, you know, take it up to the next level. When I did um, the Battle of Toten, I know nothing about medieval stuff, but I had the contacts who would, could give me the, um, you know, all the sort of historical accuracy that needed. Did it go down to accuracy as far as film stock was concerned, or did you... No, you, no you, that's not practical that, for my... Okay. But um, what I, when I did um, the shooting for Band of Brothers, um, I, the, the camera wasn't capable of, of working with the 400-foot film stock that, which they bought for me. Um, but So what I did, I, I cut ND filters out and I stuck them in, in the lens. 
which reduced the film speed, yes. but kept the grain and, the, and, and so desaturized it a bit. Right, okay. So, um, so it, 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 that was quite authentic <laughs> looking, even though, you know, you probably know on the strip of yeah. Kodak film, you've got like a little sequence of, yeah. of symbols that tells you the, the date of the stock. Yes. So unless you looked at that, I suppose even looking at the film would be, right. you know, but um, but that was quite interesting because the lens on the, the film was a very small lens, yes. uh, fixed focus. Yes. That was wonderful. Didn't have to do anything. Just pointed it at other people. <laughs> just <laughs> press the trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wound it up a few times. You know. Yeah, no, that was good though. Well, yeah. you did have a boom man in the background. You oh, know, it's silent. You know, clap the board. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, no. You had a slate with a bit of chalk on it, and you did you. Could you? Would you do that sort of stuff? I mean, if you were recreating, and because you say, as you say here, that you've created a kind of film set, uh, would you do that? Would you think about using um, that kind of technique again to tell stories about? No, no. And too expensive nowadays. Okay. You know, if somebody else was paying for it, then that's different. <laughs> you know, and I don't mean that in an unkind way. You know, <laughs> what I mean is, is that that it's gone so expensive nowadays, and you have to ask you, you know, I think 10, 15 years ago, oh, you know, I was such attention to detail and content wise, you know, it, it, oh, you had to be accurate because somebody out there would pick it up and, and, um, uh, and I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't like the idea of sort of falling short in those terms, you know, yes. um, but uh, now with, I think it, the content is far important now than, than the, you know, even though I, I prefer to shoot on the Bronica, I may have to shoot on digital. Um, but uh, I, you know, I would love to go back and shoot HP5 on, yeah. on medium format and, you know, push it a few stops and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Anyway. If the opportunity came along, let's say, you know, serendipitous, because you believe in that. Oh, totally. Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody arrived here and oh, you've got another phone call saying that we want you to do this and we want you to recreate it. And you'd go like a shop, wouldn't you? No. No. I've done, I've done it. I've been there, done it. I've got the T-shirt. I'm very happy. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, the travelling and everything else took it out to me. I was so tired of, um, you know, working long hours. And the problem is, I loved working the long hours, and um, you know, I, I was like ten years younger at that time, and um, and um, I, I I felt that this was something I'd found my dream job, but also I lost my dream job as well. So, and um, now this this tin shed now is everything about uh, the accumulation of of everything that's happened to me in the past has come together in a site. Right, which okay. um, which is, you know, the only reason that this will fail now is if we let it fail. And that, hopefully, touch wood, you know, that's not going to happen. But yeah. what I'd like is for people to, to appreciate and enjoy what we've created here and maybe other photographers, uh, students. We've had a lot of students come in here and do their, their right. you know, because uh, we're so easy going here in terms of what, we don't say, ah, oh, rubber chins go, oh, no, no, you can't do it, mate, sorry. Um, you know, I've been in, in those situations so uh, many times with jobs worths and that sort of thing, and you think, oh, oh, if only. So when we get young filmmakers or photographers or whatever come in here and they want to do a project, yeah, fine, what do you want? So that educational aspect of photography, uh, you think is important then, that you oh, give people, young people an oh, opportunity? Oh, totally, yeah, yeah, I think so. But, um, because, you know, it's so difficult to be fresh about ideas today. Everything's been done. 
you know, what hasn't been done? Oof, gosh, that's a tough one. Mm. You know, I, 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 I was, I think I was quite privileged when I was working as probably the only full-time reconstruction photographer. I, I can't think of anybody who else who was doing it full-time. And, um, and I had a purpose behind it. I was shooting stuff for the magazine, which was great. But um, I, I, some of my work, I, I had an exhibition in Aberystwyth, like I mentioned earlier to you, and, um, and I had somebody come around and I said, yeah, your stuff should be in an art gallery. And I'm thinking, oh, ooh, okay, how, how do you work that then? Um, well, you know, it says something, but also it's, it's, you can appreciate it even if you're not into the subject. You can, mm. I thought, well, okay, well, I can see, I can see where you're coming from. Um, but, you know, it's, it's very, I've been very fortunate, um, but equally, uh, I'm not in the business full time. Um, I have friends who work full time uh, in the film business and um, they don't seem to have time to do other stuff. They're always doing something, you know. Um, and, I'm, and I think, well, a combination of what we've done, photography and with the museum, has now created a place where we're not just into a bit of history, um, and I don't mean that lightly, but we're very much into music and we're very much into drama and theatre and you can see the potential of what we have around yes, here yeah. and you can see how easy it is to walk in here and say oh actually I want to do a short film for my college project and I say well okay do it then and it has been done we've had a few people doing it you know do you so give them advice I, I try to stay a little bit on the on the side I, I have helped out and I've shown them how to light things and you know backlight and a bit of smoke you can't go wrong um, <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's been a case of, of stepping in when they ask, but I, I don't force my uh, opinions on them, you know, because um, I think it's important to stand back. You can't, in today's sort of environment, I think it's important that you do learn the basic skills at least, and um, because otherwise you'll be cheating yourself. Yes, indeed, because that's the tendency. I mean, everybody can buy a camera these mm. days, a digital camera, and everybody's a photographer, so yeah, they say. Yeah, exactly. But that's not the case, is it? Oh, good gosh, no, no, it's not the case, you know. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't like criticising people's work. I think my personal attitude to life in general is, you know, give it a go um, and, and do the best you can. Um, you know, there's stuff I like and there's stuff I don't like. But uh, I, I don't. Who do you admire as a photographer? Lee Miller, right? Okay. Lee Miller, she's uh, she's I I the, her work to me is is an amazing combination of um, surreal art and a situation and circumstances that pushes the boundaries into you know it's uh, and and of course being a woman working in uh, with the military in the Second World War, yes. my gosh, you know what I mean? Um, and not tough cookie. Oh uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, we're very fortunate. We're very friendly with uh, with Tony Fen Penrose, her son. He's been down to the shed, tin shed a couple of times, okay. and he's talked about his mother's work and stuff. And oh, lovely man, great bloke. Um, but uh, I've I've always liked um, her work, and very fortunate to, to have got to know Tony as well. Um, you know. I wouldn't want to think that I would want to try and emulate her work at any one time. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah the, uh, the, uh, just to take a little diversion there, is that uh, you're talking about emulation. When you were recreating, was there, 
it must have been in the back of your mind about when you were recreating stuff, especially to do with the uh, Second World War, that you were obviously you you were looking at photographs from that. Oh era. yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So w was there an element of emulation there, or were you putting your own spin on it, or were you trying to create a bigger story than perhaps? you know, that uh, in a picture that had influenced you? Well, I think subconsciously you're always, you'll always have something in the back of your mind that might sort of appear and, and then you too. Uh, the, the drummer boy picture that I took, I think somebody did a painting of it once. So, you know, but then with the kind of work that I was doing, um, even though I was shooting photographs that represented combat warfare, <laughs> believe it or not, I was trying to avoid the old holding the gun up to the camera shot because yeah. I wanted to get the emotion between that the action yes you know I had to supply images that represented a certain scene a bit of combat or this that, the other yes. but the shots that worked for me the most were the the documentary style shots that were actually totally set up yes. so you know you capture that moment where the guy turned and you got it even though it was all pretend that was a bit where I thought, right, okay, you know, I've got that shot now that could right. represent, um, if that makes sense. Yes, d um, absolute sense. Were you worried about, everybody is obsessed with sharpness these days, you know, digital, everything has to be pin sharp. Yeah. Were you obsessed with that or did that bother you or did you kind of soften things off sometimes, a tiny tad out of focus or? My MOD days. <laughs> Every time I got something a little bit soft, I got told off for it. <laughs> <laughs> and that so, stayed with you? Yeah. So it's the eyes. You know, I, I'm quite lucky. I'm, I've got reasonably good eyesight. Um, it's not as good as it used to be. But um, I always, always wanted to get the eyes pin sharp. You know, and, that's, and we still do today. We still do today. today. Yeah. That's the essence you know. of a human being, isn't yeah. it? And, and band photography taught me that. Yeah. Um, shooting... You know, what did I have then? I think I had a Canon something. Um, and, you know, a 135 lens yeah, on the side of the stage. Nice, nice And you're just, you know, you're like this, yeah, yeah. you know. And because I'm, I, I'm a drummer, um, or play the drums anyway, um, uh, I'm always, you know, interested in musicians and the emotion. You could say that the musician's emotion on the stage and what I used to do with reconstruction is very similar, really. And you know. drummers are very difficult to photograph. Are they? Yeah, <laughs> are we awkward? Uh, bloody, yes, <laughs> because the bloody drumsticks move too fast and there's never uh, enough lighting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have an opportunity uh, <laughs> yes, in a month and a half. Smashing. Thank you very much. Ah, uh, thank you, thank you.